Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians 3 uh, this morning. We're moving along in, in the letter, uh, Paul's first letter to Corinth. And uh, we are, just to kind of get our bearings for a second, um, if we kind of go back, Paul's whole point here is he's trying to say, hey, you guys are divided. Stop doing that. Right? It's basically what he says. He wants, he wants them to be unified, and he gives a whole lot of reasons why. Uh, and he talks a lot about the message that he has brought so far, the simple message of the cross and Christ and him crucified. And he, last week, Pastor Dan uh, preached out of the second half of, of chapter 2, uh, where Paul is trying to make the point that they have the Spirit of God, and they can understand the things of God now because of that. And he ended, Paul did, with this line, but we have the mind of Christ. And so now we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 3 and read God's word. So this is God's word for us this morning. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we pray for your strength today. We pray for your understanding by your spirit as we just have looked at what we've just studied that that we cannot understand your mind, O God, but we know that your spirit does and that you have given us your spirit. And so we pray, would you illuminate these words? Would you grant us understanding that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there we were. The kids were in bed. The popcorn was made and the movie was queued up. We were embarking, by we I mean my wife and I, just in case you're wondering. We were embarking on the adventure we had been missing out on that everyone else had been talking about. We were going to watch a Marvel movie. Anybody seen a Marvel movie? At least whatever was free on Amazon Prime. Two nights later, we finished our first movie. Did you know these movies are almost two and a half hours each? Two and a half hours. This is long. A few days later, we were talking with some friends about our new Marvel adventure. We were saying, man, we're gonna, I think we're going to sign up for a free seven-day trial of Disney Plus because we heard that there's Marvel movies on that. And uh, we said, so I asked my friend, I said, how many Marvel movies are there? Can we get it done in seven days? He said, there's 23. 23! Now, I did the math at over two hours per movie. That's at least 46 hours of movie watching. At the rate we go, it's going to take us 69 days to watch all the movies. I don't think we're going to fit it in in the seven-day free trial, and we need more popcorn. There's something we love, isn't there, about these superhero stories? I mean, we, we, we love this. And I, I, read, I read an article in the New York Times that said we're in the, the day of the, the superhero. We're obsessed with superheroes. We love this, the, the good overcoming evil. We love this idea of someone or something so strong, so powerful that no bad guy stands a chance. We love it even more if they're unlikely. You know what I'm talking about, right? The criminal that redeems himself by saving the day. That's Ant-Man, in case you're wondering. The puny guy with a big heart who becomes an immortal superhuman. Who? Anybody? Who's that? Captain America, come on. You guys, it looks like you guys are all going to go on Amazon Prime too tonight. The once corrupt, conceited arms dealer turned man of iron who makes the ultimate sacrifice with his own life. Iron Man, thank you. There's something special, isn't there, about the un- unlikely hero, the underdog who breaks from uh, the norm of society and does something great. And I wonder why is this? Why do we love these stories? There's a lot of reasons, I think. But I think part of the reason is that there's something inside all of us that longs to be more than just a mere human. Perhaps we're so drawn to these stories about heroes with special powers because maybe deep inside we long to do something special too. To be something special. Maybe even to be extraordinary. I wonder if misguided longings to be more than just human might explain what we see going on in our world. I mean, think about it. Think about what people do in order to better their own position in life, to have the good life. Think about how we mere humans are tempted to handle ourselves in the world. In the business world, longing for more money and power, we might network and position and self-promote in order to put ourselves or our product or our companies in the best light. Sometimes this means stepping on the little guy. We're looking out for number one or maybe turning a blind eye to dealings that are lacking in integrity. In society, longing for a higher status or a better reputation or, or to best set up our little world, jealous of the Joneses, We rack up debt to buy things to make us look a certain way. 
We overextend ourselves to buy that one particular house in that particular neighborhood. Maybe we overcommit our children to be involved in all the right teams and organizations trying to guarantee their future. But at what cost? In politics, I don't know if I need to say a whole lot about politics, longing for a good and safe world, what do we do? We divide into factions. We argue about our positions with zeal. We hold lesser viewpoints in contempt and we become hostile and then we're crushed when our political Messiah is not elected. In our churches, longing to grow and have influence, we might soften our message to appeal to the masses. We might change our style to keep up with the trends. We might even grow arrogant in our theological commitments, holding other positions in contempt. But is this really the way to be more than merely human? Is it working? Is this the way we who identify as Christian are called to live? You see, the, the Christians in Corinth, believe it or not, faced very similar challenges. They were living in a culture that wanted to be more than merely human, and like ours, they thought it was achievable through their own human effort, striving, and self-promotion. It's fascinating to read some of the history of, of Corinth. The Corinth that this city was, was uh, that Paul was writing to was a rebuilt Corinth that was a Roman colony. And it was a colony that was uh, uh, based upon the idea that you could change your position. You could change your status if you worked hard enough. It was a port city. The sky was the limit if you were willing to go out and get it and trample on anyone in your path to one-up the other guy. You could do it. You could make Whatever you wanted to with your life. You could have whatever God or a pantheon of gods to appease. But see, Paul had a problem with this. And what was the problem? What was the problem Paul had? Well, there's one big problem, and there are three little problems that are examples of the one big problem. So we're going to talk about the three little examples, and then we're going to talk about the big problem. We look to our, our, uh, our passage this morning in verses 1 and 2. We find the first example of the problem. He says, I bro But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, he's talking about when he first came to them. If you go to Acts 18, you can read about it. When he first went to Corinth to set up the church there, and when he first went, just like he said in chapter 2, when I first came... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony with God, of God with lofty wisdom, uh, lofty speech. I only proclaimed to you Jesus and him crucified. And here he says, and when I came to you, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. I couldn't address you as, as ones who understood the things of God. I only could address you as infants, as babies. Because you weren't ready for the solid food. But then he says, even now you're not ready. See, this is the first example of their problem. They're not ready for solid food. They're babies, longing for milk. They aren't ready for anything more. When my wife and I were on child number one, we had lofty visions of making all of the baby food. Anyone ever been there before? You know, we're going to make it all. We bought the food processor that, that processed and steamed and did all the stuff in one little thing, it's no wonder that after like a year, it really was stinky. 
had some issues, but you did it all in there. We, and we processed everything, sweet potatoes, carrots, broccoli, I mean, spinach, everything got processed and turned into baby food in this. Of course, by child number four, I don't even know where the processor is, and there's a whole lot of Cheerios. Why do we do this? Why did we turn everything into baby food? Well, it's quite simple, isn't it? The illustration Paul's using here, babies aren't big enough to handle the solid food. They can't chew. They'll choke on it. Their digestive system isn't quite up to snuff yet. It's a little sensitive. What's best for babies is milk or baby food. And in this case, the milk is the basics of the gospel. The message that Paul came proclaiming when he first came to Corinth, Christ and him crucified. You see, the solid food, this is the deeper doctrinal uh, message of Scripture. This is the foundational doctrines upon which the message of the cross was built. Solid food, then, you could think of, for example, read Romans 1 through 11. That's a lot of solid food for you. And here's Paul saying to them, guys, you're not ready for Romans. You're not ready for it. The problem is that Christians who live on milk alone, as the writer in Hebrews says, are unskilled in the word of righteousness. What that means is that you do not have the ability to discern and distinguish good from evil. Christians who live on milk alone prioritize their own judgment and will over other, ultimately over God's. Christians who live on milk alone, as it says in Ephesians 4, are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Christians who live on milk alone are like the seed that fell among the thorns. You remember that from the parable? So man went out sowing and he sowed. Some fell on the rocks and some fell on the path and some fell among thorns. And when it grew up, it says in Matthew 13, 22, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word and it proves unfruitful. You see, Paul's problem here is that they're not ready. But they ought to be. But they're still craving milk and milk alone. But he's saying, no, no, you need to get ready for something else. We'll come back to that. That's the first example of the problem. The second example of the problem is that we find it in in verse 3. They're jealous of one another. They're in strife with one another. He says, uh, for you are still of the flesh, verse 3. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? Jealousy, you you, you might define jealousy as, as being hostile towards someone that you perceive to be a rival or someone you believe to having an advantage that you don't have. So anytime we look at someone else and think they've got something that's an advantage over what you have, that's jealousy. It very quickly can turn into envy then, which is when it gets a little more hostile, a little more points, a little bit angry almost, like, ooh, I don't like that person because they have what I don't have. There's strife, arguing, uh, contention. And what did it look like, this strife and jealousy in the Corinthian church? Well, read the rest of 1 Corinthians. They have divided loyalties, as we're going to see here in a minute. They are self-promoting and bullying one another. My gifts are better than yours. The whole chapter 12. 
They're hoarding resources. They're not being generous to those who have less. The wealthy are well-fed while the impoverished in the church are going hungry. Read chapter 11. Jealousy, strife within the church. Paul says this is a work of the flesh. If you turn over to Galatians 5, you'll see where he even outlines the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19, he lists out some of these, the fruit of the flesh, you might say. The fruit of those who are living like the culture outside. And he says this, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. You see, what is, what's going on here in the church, in Corinth? Christians are jealous of one another because they're doubting God's goodness to them. Christians are contentious with one another because they're forgetting God's call to love your neighbor, not try to tear them down. So Paul has a problem with this. See, jealousy and strife lead to something. James 3.16, we see the result of jealousy and strife. James says this, For while jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. We get it when we see that out in the world, don't we? Well, that just makes sense. That's the world. But he's saying this is what's going to happen in the church. If within the church you continue to be jealous of one another, continue to be in strife with one another, and then divide. And that's the third example of the problem we find in verse 4. Paul says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You see, they had adopted the prevailing cult of celebrity attitude. Do we have that in our, in our society, by the way? Cult of celebrity, Yeah. They did too in Corinth, by the way. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing at all. They zealously promoted a party spirit. Do we have that in our society? My guy's better than your guy. My gal's better than yours. This is the ticket to ride on. They adopted a cultural theology of triumphalism. It's my way or the highway. My ideas or, or nobody's ideas. My way of doing things, my politics, my religion, fill in, my fill in the blank is better than yours. That's triumphalism. Does that sound like the gospel? And because of this, they're divided into factions. They were employing the pretenses of human arrogance and worldly wisdom to fight one another. In short, they were acting like Everybody else. And Paul says, guys, this is not okay. You see, in Paul's words, what's happening here is they're behaving like mere humans. They're living in this culture of self-promotion. They're they're living in this culture where where you have to climb and fight and and claw your way to gain status. You have to scramble to one-up the other person. Hopefully, so you might triumph over them one day. 
And all of these cultural values and priorities were still present in their thinking, in their habits, in their way of living within the church. And this is the problem that Paul has, is they were acting no different than the world around them. They had adopted the ways and thinking of the world. They were acting like everybody else. And they couldn't even discern that that was not okay. How about you? Where is your heart at towards one another? I know for me, I find that I struggle with jealousy. I can struggle to think that my way of thinking is the right way and hold others in contempt who don't agree 100% with me or maybe even 99 How about you? Why is this a problem? I think it goes back to what Paul finished before he went into chapter 3. You have the mind of Christ. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. You are not mere humans. In fact, C.S. Lewis says in The Weight of Glory that there are no ordinary people. He says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. It's kind of an interesting side note. We won't get into that much, but that's basically getting the idea that we're all made in God's image. So because of that, there are no mere humans. And anytime we start to live as if we are mere humans and we've just got to fight our way around in the world, we've started to believe the lie that striving and arguing and fighting is the way to get ahead in this world. But Paul says and reminds them that you have the mind of Christ This is not how Christians who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them are to behave. He says in 1 Corinthians uh, 2 verse 12, you receive this Spirit so that you can understand the things freely given us by God. So instead of exhibiting these fruits of the flesh, you ought to be exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. And you can find those in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh. He even goes on and says in Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Kind of like that imagery. Keep in step. I don't know if it's like a two-step, but anyway, keep in step. Let us not become conceited, he says provoking one another. That's what jealousy does, strife. We provoke, envying one another. So he says the problem is this. If if I want to summarize it all, I would summarize it like this. You have the mind of Christ, but you're behaving like mere humans. You have the potential to be so much more, but you're acting like everybody else in the world and thinking that that's how you have to act to get ahead. What's the point of all this? What's the point? When I was a kid, there was a commercial for a toy store. And I'm, I'm just going to see how many people start singing along with me here. They offered it. I, you know, I got to sing in my, you know, just because that's, you know, I'm the music guy, right? They, 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 so this commercial would come on TV, and they would offer a chance to win a shopping spree at their store, which, of course, is every kid's dream, Right? Every kid's dream, have a, a, a big grocery cart and get to run through the store and just, I'm looking, I see James, he's got a big smile on his face. He's like, yeah, man, just get throw this stuff in the cart. You're running through. And so the commercial comes on, maybe you can win. 
And then the song comes on, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Oh, there's a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. Who knows the next part? I, uh, from bikes to trains to video games, it's the biggest toy store there is. I don't want to grow up because maybe if I did, I couldn't be a Toys R Us kid, right? Okay, how many of you knew that? Yeah, a lot of you are singing that, right? Six in your head. I was, last night I was trying to remember this, and I did almost the entire thing from memory. Now, how's that for a catchy jingle? Of course, we all grew up, right? Or did we? Did we grow up? Did we? Apparently in Corinth, years after Paul first proclaimed the gospel and established the church there, there were some in the church who were still singing, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to grow up because I couldn't be a Toys R Us kid. See, this is the immature attitude that existed. It's one that Paul says spiritual people ought not to have. He says, no, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You're not merely human, you're spiritual. And according to Paul, spiritual people ought to grow up. He says it in another way in Ephesians 4. He says, rather speaking the truth in love to one another, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which is equipped with each part working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have to grow up because we're in this together. We have to grow up because he's saying you have no option. You are a body. You are held together. We had, a, we had we had a community group this past week. We had someone shared a great illustration, and I told them I'm probably going to share this. But it's sort of like if if you go to the gym and you only work out your upper body, you don't ever do legs. What's going to happen to that body? I mean, yeah, buff biceps, but man, like puny legs, right? I mean, it's just what's going to happen, right? Or maybe you only work out your you know your index finger. You got great forearms, but the rest of your body, uh, you know. That's, Paul, that's what's going on here. He's saying, come on, you've got to grow up because you're in this together. Paul even celebrates those who grow. In 2 Thessalonians, he says, we always give thanks to God for you because it's right, because your faith is growing abundantly. You see, what, what Paul is saying is that people who act, uh, who use the human wisdom Hold on, sorry, I lost my place. You belong to God. You've been bought with a price, he says, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 6. And you have the wisdom of God given to you by the Spirit. The wisdom of the world leads you to jealousy and strife. The wisdom of God, on the other hand, sees each member of the body of Christ as a unified people. And those who have the Spirit have the wisdom of God, and you will grow up. So what does it look like then? We're like, okay, we got the point. We need to grow up. We need to grow up. What does that look like exactly? How do, what does it look like to grow up into Christ? Well, first, it looks like this. We grow up, and he, he brings this out at the end of verse 2. We grow up when we get ready to receive the things of God. Okay, he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready. And even now, you're not ready. So he's saying, look, first step to grow up, get ready. It's going to happen. You need to get ready. In fact, in order to prepare to receive the things of God... 
to get ready for this, the first part of it is renouncing your own judgment, renouncing your own will. It's what Jesus says, being poor in spirit. It's acknowledging that you're spiritually weak. It's acknowledging that you don't bring anything to the table in terms of offering to God to say, look at what I can do, God. Look at, look at what I've done for you. Look at what I've done in the world. No, no, he says you can't do that because it doesn't, it doesn't count because you have sin, sin, sin. So instead, you need to be poor in spirit and mourn your sinful condition. Lay aside your own striving and strength. Be meek. That's what being meek is, laying aside your own asserting of your strength to gain. And in exchange, you find that he is your power. We prepare to receive the solid food by training. Hebrews 5.14 says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. There's an element of, of this is, you're going to the gym. You're working out. You're getting in the word. You're reading it. You're fellowshipping other believers and you're encouraging and challenging one another. You're, you're sitting underneath the preaching of God's word. You're going into the world and practicing using these things. You're telling your neighbors about Jesus. You're inviting them into your home. This is you exercising. You're hitting the spiritual gym. Remember Paul says that physical training is of some value, but training in godliness has full value. So you get ready. Secondly, you grow up by putting off the flesh and putting on Christ. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Galatians 5, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires for if we live by the spirit, spirit, we already mentioned this, let us keep in step with the spirit. So we put off the flesh. This is, this is the, uh, the, the old Puritans called this mortifying the sin, right? It's putting to death the sin. It's acknowledging I have sinned. Here it is. Now, Lord, help me. Think of the, the tax collector beating his breast. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to put off my flesh. Help me to put on Christ. And part of that putting on is, is not always an active thing for you. Some of it's a passive thing. It's acknowledging that you are in Christ. Romans 12 says, uh, he, he writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he says, this is part of the putting off and putting on. Do not be conformed to the world. In the world, there's jealousy. In the world, there's strife. In the world, there's rivalries. In the world, there's hostility. Out there, there's factions and division. But in here, we are not conformed to this. We instead are transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the, that by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God. This is the will of God right here. This is his will. This is not some like mysterious thing that we each have to go find. I want to make that clear. We sometimes say, what's God's will for my life? Here it is. Read it. What should I do tomorrow? Start by reading this. And then go love your neighbor and love God. 
and tell others about Jesus. I mean, it's, 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 really, it's really that simple, guys. Sure, there's a lot of, of, of other little things, yes, but testing uh, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, put off the flesh and put on Christ, in part is getting into the word and acknowledging that you don't have anything, that you need everything from Christ. See, this is both a matter of gaining understanding, but it's also reshaping our habits, isn't it? I mean, take, take, take Sunday mornings, for instance. This is a habit. Coming together on Sundays to worship is a habit. It doesn't just happen by accident. You train yourself to do this. Did you know that? How many, do you, how many of you guys eat every day? I mean, most people do, right? That is something you've trained yourself to do. That's a habit. Do you think about it? Not really. Maybe you think about like what kind of food you're going to eat, but you don't think, am I going to eat dinner tonight? For the most part, we just eat dinner and we say, oh, here's the food. We train ourselves in these habits. That's part of what he's saying is reform your habits. Not conform to the habits of the world, but by the renewal of your mind. So we get ready. This is how we grow up. We're talking about that. We get ready to receive the things of Christ by being poor in spirit, acknowledging our weakness. We put off the flesh. We acknowledge, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And we put on Christ and we say, Christ, transform me. Change me. And the third part of this growing up comes in the last part of this passage. And it's when we glory in Christ and him alone. See, Paul gives the problem in the first part, and he really gets into this great discussion that it's kind of a hinge pin between the first part of chapter 3 and the second part of chapter 3. We read it in in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Remember, they're in camps. They've got the the Apollos camp over here. They have their Apollos t-shirts. They're like, yep, Apollos is our guy. He's our man. Yep, He's, he's eloquent, and he was. Read about it in Acts 18. He was a very eloquent speaker. He, he was the theologian. And then you got Paul who chose for the purpose of getting the gospel out to kind of put his theology uh, hubris, you might say, to the side so that he could say, look, I'm just going to talk about Jesus and him crucified because that's all you guys can handle. But the two of them were both needed for Corinth. They needed both of their strategies, you might say. And here Paul says, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? We're both servants. Verse 5. Through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. It's fascinating here. They're servants. We serve someone else, he's saying. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about Jonathan Whitley. It's not about Dan Jackson. It's about him, right? Because the Lord has assigned our roles to us. Each of us have a role. Each of you have a role that God has given you. Did you know that? Every single one of you, there is no part of the body of Christ that is insignificant. Do you know that? Do you believe that? The Bible says it's true. From the littlest and smallest child To the most seasoned adults, we all have a role in the body of Christ as God has assigned to you. 
And what he's saying is get busy doing your job. Get busy. He goes on, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered. So you see, he said, I plant the seeds. I threw them out there. I got that gospel going. Then Apollos came in. You can read Acts 18. I know I've mentioned that. It really benefit you to read Acts 18, I think, alongside of this letter because it talks about when Paul planted Corinth. But Apollos came in and he began teaching them and helping them, trying to, to, to help them to grow. And of course, we're seeing Paul's writing now because something happened. So Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered. But it's not about, again, Apollos or Paul. It's about God because he says, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. He doesn't mean they're insignificant. He doesn't mean they're not of value. He means it's not about us. It's about God who gives the growth. We're just doing the job he gave us to do. We're just being faithful to the role he's given us. Some proclaim in front of people. Others proclaim in their home to their children. Some proclaim in the workplace. Some serve their neighbors. Some work and are faithful and diligent to do their job every day and day out, knowing that they're loving their neighbor by doing that. That's the role God's given you. Some go to school and study and study hard and diligently because that's the role God gave you to do, and that brings him glory. And when we see growth in ourselves and others, it's not us that are important, but it's him. Because he gives the growth. It goes on in verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. The goal is the same. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. That will be talked about a little more in the next part of the passage. But essentially it's the idea that It's not an earning of salvation. It's an idea that we are working and that our work, our faithfulness to live out the gifts he's given us, we will be held account for that one day. We will have to give an account for that one day. Not as an issue of salvation. Don't mishear that. But as an issue of God, this is the gifts you gave me and here's how I used them. Here's how I was faithful to get busy doing the work he gave me. So you got to ask yourself, friends, are you getting busy doing the work God gave you to do? Because we're one, and we will receive the wages according to his labor. And he uses this analogy of of like a field. We are the workers, you are the field, and you are God's building. And that really is setting up the next part. So we're not going to talk much about the building because it sets up this, he starts going into a different image, you might say, a different illustration. You see, friends, we grow up when we glory in Christ and Christ alone. We glory in Christ alone when we rejoice with those who rejoice, when we weep with those who weep. See, when you're jealous, you can't do that. When you have strife, you can't be happy when someone else is happy because you're really going, man, they're happy, and I'm not feeling happy. Do they have something I don't have? See, just it creeps in there. You see how that happens? But when we glory in Christ, we rejoice Man, they're having a great day. They're having success at work. They're having success in their family. They're having success. Praise God. We glory in Christ alone when we weep with those who weep. See, when you're jealous and you're envy, you celebrate when others weep. That's how the world does it, right? Oh, they're down. Yes. I watch basketball with a friend. I'm not going to say who my friend is. And every time 
the team that is not being rooted for, that my friend does not root for, is losing, I, I, the celebration is immense. Yes, they're losing. Oh, they made a terrible play. Yes. That's, that's, that's rejoicing in other sufferings. That's just a simple example. But we do this in life sometimes. And we're not glorying in Christ when we do this. We also glory in Christ alone when we suffer with those who suffer. You see, we glory in Christ alone when we trust the station or the place he's assigned to us. And we don't say, I wish I had that guy's spot. I wish I was like that family. I wish I didn't have these struggles and I had that guy's struggles. They seem better than my struggles. I wish I could think like that woman. I wish I was that hospitable. I'm scared to death of people. My home's a mess. I don't know if I can have anyone in my home. No, no, no. We glory in Christ when we trust where he's put us. We glory in Christ when we give thanks to God for the successes we see in one another. We glory in Christ when we remember that he brings the growth in us and in others and that any growth we experience or witness is not a result of our efforts, but it's only by his power. So you might be wondering, well, how in the world do we do this growing up stuff? I mean, this sounds like a lot of stuff I got to do. And I'm not good at doing stuff, clearly, because if I was, I wouldn't be here. What's the power? What motivates us to this? How do we live like this day in and day out, especially in the culture? We look out in the world and we say, I don't know how to not adopt the culture, not adopt the society's way of thinking. We do it unknowingly, by the way. What's to motivate us? Well, quite simply, this might sound simple, but Paul said it's okay. It's in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross, for the word of the cross, which is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, what is it? It is the power of God. You see, what motivates us to grow up, what motivates us to put off the flesh and to put on Christ is the word of the cross. It's considering that though we were separated from God because of our sin, he sent his son. And Jesus came. And Jesus lived the perfect life of righteousness. And then he took upon himself the punishment that he didn't deserve. But the punishment that we deserve so that in him we might become righteous or truly good or accepted by the Father. He was the substitute for us. And he died. As we said earlier, then our sins were nailed to the cross he rose and in him we too rise to newness of life you see how do we grow up we remember what Jesus has done for us we glory in the cross we think about the fact that I'm here and I'm only here standing and breathing because of God's grace to me through Jesus by what he did on the cross 
You see, Jesus is the real superhero, isn't he? And in him, we're no longer mere humans. No, we are restored image bearers who have been pardoned from sin, set free from the power of sin. We're a new creation, he says. We're not mere humans. We're sons and daughters, children of the living God, citizens of a better country, a greater kingdom. And through Christ, we taste and see what is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We don't need to strive to better our position in the world. In Christ, you have been raised to the highest position possible. Did you know that? You can't get any higher than where you are right now, Christian. Did you know that? Hallelujah. We don't need to outmatch our opponents and endlessly argue our position in order to gain acceptance. Did you know in Christ you are more loved than you ever dreamed or imagined? Right now. And it's not because you got it right. It's because he did. We don't need to be jealous of one another, wishing you had another person's so-called advantage, because in Christ you have every advantage. And see, friends, in Christ, you're not a mere human. You are loved, you're accepted, you are bought into fellowship, brought into fellowship with God and one another. You have his spirit, you have his mind, so you can stop striving, you can turn to him, you can rest in him knowing he's already been at work in you and that he will bring you to completion and then you can start growing up. You can grow up in him. Let's pray. Well, Father, we pray for the strength that's not our own to do this. And we pray, O oh Lord, I pray, God, that though I know some will hear this today, even myself, and be tempted to go home with a to-do list, I pray that first, God, we would turn to the cross and remember what you have done and who we are in light of what you have done. And let that be our motivation, that we live in gratitude for this, that we grow up into Christ because we want to learn more about you. We want to reshape our lives and our habits. And so, God, we pray for help. And we thank you for the habit that we have of worshiping you and singing to you and hearing your word and also coming to your table. Remind us of your grace, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.